Hey everybody, um, welcome to this, the, uh, the very first episode of Brennan Johnson Talks. Um, if you've been following along on my various uh, social medias or what have you, you know that this has been an odd kind of a journey. Uh, things are just breaking and not working and so I figured uh, why not go back to this tried and true method of uh being a a white man making a podcast what what could be more uh basic than that in all sense of that word but uh yes so i am going to uh begin and now i'm going to talk about some stuff and we're going to have fun and do all the things so, uh, today's episode for episode one of this uh, special, special podcast is uh, entitled Reading Freud in the Garden of Eden. <clears throat> so, as you can probably guess, I'm going to be talking about Freud um, and all that that entails. Basically, uh, I'm going to be discussing the works of, of Freud, um, one of my favorite writers, uh, Peter Rollins, will add into the mix, and I want to kind of give credit where credit is due. So I'll, I'll let you know when I'm talking about Freud's work, I'll let you know when I'm talking about Peter Rollins' work, um, and then I'll also let you know when I'm discussing my own thoughts and my own uh, work on the whole thing. But for today, we're going to be talking about the, uh, the Oedipus uh, uh, theory, the Oedipus complex, that Freud created, um, and looking at uh, the Bible through uh, that kind of lens. So to do that, I figured that it'd be really probably helpful to go to the very source of the Oedipus uh, complex, the actual story of Oedipus uh, itself. So I'm going to read kind of an outline of the story so that you get an understanding of what that is, um, and then talk it into the Freud's work and Rollins' work and my own. So the Oedipus story comes from an old Greek myth um, and an old Greek play that was entitled uh, Oedipus Rex. Um, and so basically the story uh, starts as, as such. Um, <clears throat> a, a king and queen in Thebes are trying to get pregnant um, and struggling with it. So the king decides to visit this this uh, this oracle um to see if uh, the possibility of ever having this heir to his throne uh will ever come about um instead the oracle kind of tells him that any son this king is going to bear is going to um is going to it's essentially going to end up killing the king and and marrying his wife uh so this son would end up killing his own father and marrying his own mother. So obviously this upsets the king a little bit. So years go by and eventually the king learns that his wife is pregnant and he begins to worry. And then once the baby is born, the they find out that it is in fact a boy. The king immediately ties up its his, his, his hands and his feet and gives the baby to a servant to basically take into the wilderness and die from exposure. So the servant goes out and is going to leave the baby, but can't uh, just can't find the will to do it. So the servant gives the child to a farmer, 
who through a series of events, this, this child ends up um, being given to the king and queen of a neighboring town of Corinth. And this couple decides to raise the child as their own. They name him Oedipus because Oedipus uh, means kind of the, the bruising along the hands and the feet. It, it has ties to that with, because of the rope around the, the child's hands and feet. So years later, Oedipus is walking through town when this old drunken man um, calls him a bastard, simply meaning that he is not the natural born heir to the throne. He is not actually his parents' birth child. So distressed, Oedipus asks his parents about this, and they lie to him and tell him that he is in fact their child. But Oedipus isn't fully convinced, so Oedipus goes to the same oracle that his birth father went to, um, because obviously there's a lot of demand for oracles back in ancient Greece. And the, the oracle tells him the exact same prophecy, that he is going to end up killing his father and marrying his mother. So worried about his parents in Corinth, uh, Oedipus runs away, hoping to spare his parents in Corinth this, this dreadful fate. So as he's on the road, Oedipus comes to this sort of crossroads at the exact same time as this nobleman in a carriage with all of his servants. And the two begin to bicker on who has the right of way. Um, and so when the carriage attempts to kill, like run over Oedipus, uh, Oedipus instead kills the nobleman, kills all of his servants, and carries on his way down the road. <laughs> because uh, there were just different times, I guess, in Greeks. Um, but later down the road, as Oedipus is still continuing to walk, he comes across a sphinx, this mythical creature, who, who tells him that the only way forward is if he can answer the riddle. Otherwise, she's going to eat him. So Oedipus uh, answers this this creature's riddle and continues on down the road. And upon entering the town of Thebes, Oedipus learns that the town has been terrorized by this sphinx for a really long time, and the brother of the queen was offering the crown and the recently widowed queen's hand in marriage to anyone who could free the town from the, the terrorizing of this sphinx. Thus, Oedipus uh, marries the queen and becomes the king of Thebes. So years later, Oedipus and the queen have had four children together when suddenly this curse of infertility overruns the town. Uh, livestock, crops, and people, they all become barren. So seeking out uh, a prophet, uh, an oracle, again with the, with the oracles, Oedipus asks uh, why the town is facing this curse, and the, the prophet person tells him that until the murderer of the old king can be found, uh, the, you know, the queen's old husband, until the murderer of this, this king could be found, the, the town is going to be inflicted by this curse. So Oedipus seeks out the murderer, um, and I think actually, you know, goes to a, another oracle. This, this story is filled with oracles. But he goes to another oracle and learns that he himself was the one who killed the king when he came upon the crossroads with that with that nobleman in the carriage. But not only that, but the king was actually his birth father, and the woman he has married 
is in fact his mother. So horrified by the news, um, Oedipus gouges out his eyes and wanders into the wilderness where he eventually dies. It's a very cheerful story, as you can uh, surmise. <clears throat> but uh, so years later, Freud took this theory or took this story and created from it this theory that he called the Oedipal complex, the Oedipus complex, um, essentially saying that we all want to sleep with our mother and to do so, we have to kill our father. And part of that theory wasn't so much literal. Uh, the mother was seen as this return to oceanic oneness, this, this pure pleasure that was only known before the trauma of life and our separation, um, you know, like, uh, from our mother's womb. The, the only time that we knew pure pleasure was in our mother's womb. Um, after that, we had this trauma that, that life creates. And the father is the reality of life getting in our way. So the mother is, is pure pleasure principle. The idea of pure pleasure. This idea, you know, we have all these desires. Um, we want to climb trees. We want to climb mountains. We want to eat all the candy. Whatever it is that will bring us pleasure, um, that's what we want. That is the pleasure principle. The father is this idea of the reality principle, the idea that reality is an obstacle to our desires. We struggle to climb trees. Um, we struggle to climb mountains because of our, our lack of strength, because of gravity, because of our own body weight. Um, we can't eat all the candy we want to because we get full and we get sick and we need vegetables for nutrients. So we think that we have to kill the father, just get rid of the, the reality principle, essentially get over the roadblock, keeping us from our goals. You know, that everything would be great if we could kill the father. We'd be free to marry our mother, uh, have the eternal pleasure principle. But this theory states that it's simply not true. Um, if we, we do, in fact, accomplish this, we find ourselves cursed, much like Oedipus. Uh, a great way that I have always uh, thought about this, and it's very, very simple, is if you think of the video game The Sims, and please stay with me. I know that this is probably not what you were expecting. But the video game Sims, for those of you who don't know, is basically just playing a virtual reality simulation of a life. You make up a character and you live their life. And it's essentially a microcosm of how life works today. So when I would play Sims as a, as a kid, I would always skip all the work that I was supposed to do and use cheat codes to give my Sims everything. So I would have a gigantic house. I'd have all the money in the world. I'd have no job. I'd have a beautiful spouse. I would take care of all my physical needs. So I'd never have to go to the bathroom or eat or sleep or waste time doing any of those things. And I would just give him everything this the Sims would, would want. I, you know, there was no uh, need of anything. And it'd be fun for a little bit. But then I'd grow really, really bored because there was nothing to do. The, the quote unquote meaning in the game had been taken away. 
And so I would eventually kind of just stop playing. It wasn't fun for me anymore. However, on the flip side of that, um, <clears throat> when I would play the game as it was meant to be played, I would find that, um, you know, if I did all the work that I was supposed to do, if I'd go to, if I'd go to work every day, if I'd go to sleep early every night so I'd be well rested, if I would have these boring conversations with other Sims so that we could move our relationship forward, um, if I did all the mundane day-to-day stuff that I'd have to do in the real world, I'd get bored still and I would stop playing because I didn't want to have to go through all these never-ending hoops to have a good life. So it was a catch-22. Working for these pleasures was really boring, but if I gave myself all the pleasures, it was still boring. So uh, if we can shift focus for a second and uh, look at the Genesis story um, in, in the Bible... Um, we see that Adam, the first man, is created in a world of pure pleasure and paradise. You know, he's in, he, he, is, he is put into a world, created into a world of Eden. But Adam isn't satisfied. So God gave him these tasks to accom- accomplish. Name all the animals, name all the, the nature and flowers and, and plants, and rule over them. Rule over all of the earth, over all creation. So Adam accomplishes this task, but he is still not satisfied. So God creates Eve, and together they're still not satisfied. And that is when the serpent comes to this couple and tells them that to be truly satisfied, they have to be like God, lacking nothing, lacking the lack that they feel. Eat the fruit of the one tree they're not supposed to eat from. If they would just eat the fruit, they'd finally be satisfied. So Adam and Eve eat of this fruit and find, um, instead of satisfaction, that they, just like Oedipus, are cursed. (coughs) So Peter Rollins interprets uh, Freud in the the, the Genesis story. So he would say that, that man, Adam and Eve, were put in the pleasure principle, Eden, and they found it boring. They found it not satisfying, devoid of any motivation and meaning. So God had to introduce reality principles into it. You know, name all the animals and rule over them. Don't eat from this tree. All of these things to delay gratification and create meaning in the pleasure when they would overcome these things and gain what they wanted. And so the serpent comes along and tells them that if they go to the tree they're forbidden from eating from, this reality principle, this this killing of the father, then they would finally be satisfied and be just like God. They'd finally have married the mother, have this eternal pleasure principle. And so when they do this thing, they find themselves cursed instead. I see a great uh, correlation in the real world today, in the way that the serpent is advertising, the serpent is idolatry. It is consumerism. You know, buy this, do this, be this, and you'll finally be happy. The serpent tells his couple, eat the fruit and you will be fulfilled. But we see that no matter how much you do, no matter how much you buy, no matter how much you get or gain, 
you are never going to be satisfied. So Peter Rollins goes on to to say that uh, when churches preach completion, when they preach satisfaction, when they preach fulfillment, when churches try to lead you somewhere better, and all you have to do is be this, do this, maybe even buy this, they're not so much preaching the gospel of Jesus, but they're preaching the gospel of the serpent. He'd go even as far as to say that they are in league with the serpent himself. So he says that instead, churches should far more embrace, um, should be far more like AA, like Alcoholics Anonymous. Because before you even set out on completing the steps in AA, you simply have to accept that you are, uh, that you have a problem and when you do, when you find yourself accepting that you have a problem, you find yourself accepted just the way you are. And that that is grace. That is how to have a church of God, a church of Jesus. Accept the message that you are broken, that you are lacking, and that you are no less loved. So when I read the Genesis story in this, this Freudian lens, I see that God has created all good things. God created Eden, paradise, pleasure. God is actually the utmost pleasure. The serpent says that being like God will allow Adam and Eve to achieve the ultimate pleasure. God is the ultimate pleasure. God is that oceanic oneness that we seek to return to. God is the ultimate mother's womb because we are all from God. God is the mother. God is the mother from Freud's Oedipus complex. He is the mother that we wish to marry. But realizing that wasn't enough. Pure pleasure principle wasn't satisfying. So God had to create the reality principle, name the animals, rule over creation, do not eat from this tree. God created the roadblock to our pleasure. God is, all, is, is actually the utmost of reality, the ultimate reality principle. He created all of the reality that keeps us from our goals, our pleasure, and it, it, it keeps us from the things we desire, and it has to be defeated, these things that have to be killed to be achieved. So God is the father. God is the father from Freud's Oedipus complex. He is the father we wish to kill. So once the fruit was eaten, once the pleasure principle was lived out, once the curse was displayed, like Oedipus learning that he had murdered his father and married his mother, humanity, Adam and Eve, learned the, the error of their ways and the truth of their ways, and they became cursed. Those of us in the, the, the Jewish and Christian tradition know that the curse was displayed by, by God moving farther away, that God separated himself from reality, that God the mother moved far away. We became separated from God the mother, and we became more acquainted with God the father. 
the father who gave us laws and rules, which we have to hope, uh, which we have to follow in hopes of growing closer to God. You know, we see God being called father throughout all the scriptures. And this father gave us these old Hebraic laws that we find in Leviticus and, and in Numbers. And we have to obey these laws. We have to follow these laws if we wish to draw closer to God. God says, you want to know me, you want to follow me, you want to be in right relationship with me, follow these. God the Father puts these laws, these roadblocks in place and says, if you want the mother, you have to kill these things. You have to defeat these things. You have to overcome these roadblocks. So the Father puts these laws in place to separate us from the mother. And so with the mother separated and the father in the way, we find this yet perfected system of living with this goal in mind all throughout the Old Testament, wanting to get to, uh, wanting to, get to these roadblocks and go around these roadblocks to achieve the prize. So the world is living in this Freudian reality of pleasure and reality. We want to kill God, the reality, the ego, the father. So that we can have God, the, the pleasure, the id, the mother. And we live in that way all throughout the Old Testament. And then we come to the cross. So when we turn into the New Testament and we read in the Gospels, these, these, these you know four books that uh, talk about the life and times of Jesus, we see uh, these four. Pharisees who have created a system of pleasure for themselves. You know, these Pharisees who had done the schooling, done the work, they have overcome the reality principle and are now living in the pleasure principle. They have the title, they have the respect, they have the money, and they have the power. The Pharisees claim that God has given them these pleasures. They claim to have attained the mother, not so much in as many words, but in theory, in, in, in the practice, they think that they have done the work and now they are living in the reward. But then God comes. Then Jesus comes. And instead of reinforcing this idea, Jesus instead says to these Pharisees that they're missing it. You know, you, you're missing it. You're, you're, you're actually cursed. You're not doing it right. You are wrong and you are going down the wrong path. And the common folk in the, the area, these people who have been living in oppression and who know all about the reality principle, they begin to catch on to what Jesus is saying. They see him calling out these people who are living in the lap of luxury, and they begin to follow Jesus. Because they see that Jesus doesn't take too kindly to the pleasure principle fueled Pharisees. So then the Pharisees begin to discuss with one another. You know, they, they begin to start, they start saying, if we kill Jesus, we can go back to our lives, you know, basking in the glories of God. If we kill this roadblock, we can once again have our goal. If we kill this reality principle, we can go back to the pleasure principle. If we kill the father, we can go back to having the mother. If we kill God, we can go back to having the glories of God. 
Are you with me on this? I mean, this is this is this is deep stuff. So the Pharisees kill Jesus. So we kill Jesus. We kill the reality principle. We kill God to attain God. The Pharisees then find themselves cursed. They remain frauds. They remain unfulfilled. They continue to abuse the common people to maintain their pleasure principle lives. However, the followers of Jesus received something very different than anything that had ever happened before. Because the followers of Jesus thought that the world had won out. The Pharisees had killed the father to marry the mother. They had killed God to grow closer to God. And yet they found that God was gone. The God that they had sought was gone. They had killed him. Because God is the source of all things. God is the utmost of pleasure and reality. In this action of crucifying Jesus on the cross, we were shown that the reality principle and the pleasure principle are one. Mother and father are one flesh. They are married. So it was only in Jesus' death that we saw that we cannot get to the pleasure principle without the reality principle. The utmost expression of reality and pleasure is God, because God is the source and the utmost of both. Our utmost pleasure is to be reunited with God, to have that oceanic oneness, something that we couldn't do because of our sin. Our sin of, of failing to obey the law, of always coming up short. We couldn't, we couldn't follow the law, so we had this sin. We, we could not get past the roadblock. We were separated from the mother. We were separated from God. This reality principle was keeping us from our pleasure. So we had to put our sin on Jesus and kill him. So now we are no longer separated from God. Jesus' followers found then upon the resurrection that the reality principle is the pleasure principle and vice versa. Just like in the game of Sims, if I was simply working for all of these goals, I would grow unsatisfied. But if I simply gave myself all these rewards, I'd still be unsatisfied. It's in the the it's in the learning that the work is the pleasure. The reality principle is the pleasure principle. We shouldn't seek to kill the reality pr principle, but find pleasure in the reality. The work is the pleasure. If you think of life as a journey and the goals we set about attaining as its pit stops, we have to learn that the pit stops aren't really goals at all. But the journey itself is the goal. You know, no matter how much fame, no matter how much power, no matter how much money, no matter how much, uh, no matter what I achieve, I am always going to be unsatisfied. No matter how easily I kill the father, marrying the mother is still going to leave me cursed. 
But if I learn that the father and the mother are one, and I simply have to allow myself to live under them, to allow myself to simply be their child, I find a satisfaction and a contentedness that I have otherwise never known. The Oedipus story goes off the rails because people are so desperate for something. They're so desperate for satisfaction, for pleasure, for goals. All Oedipus really needed was a loving mother and father to take them as his as their child. And none of this drama, none of this tragedy, none of this murder and incest would ever have happened. So the Pharisees were looking for what Rollins calls a serpent church. They were looking for completion. They were looking for satisfaction, happiness, wholeness. But the first followers of Jesus understood that the church was supposed to be more aligned in that AA mindset. You embrace the brokenness. You embrace the lack. You embrace the ugliness. And you work through it. But you understand that through it all, no matter how far you get or don't get, you are accepted and you are loved. And that is grace. That the lack we feel can be pleasure. And we separate ourselves from God when we fall back into that Oedipal complex. When we think that we have to accomplish something, when we think that we have to have these goals, that things would be better if we would only achieve this, get that, be that. When we allow the serpent to tell us that there are things we have to do to gain happiness and fulfillment. Kierkegaard would argue that the striving is the whole point. Striving for health, striving for betterment. The end goal doesn't matter nearly as much as the desire for the end goal. That the point is to have something that pushes you forward to the end goal. Because end goals come, end goals go, and sometimes they are completed and sometimes they're not. But no matter what, they leave us wanting more. We have to know that no matter how many goals we do or don't accomplish, we are still loved and we are still accepted. We have to escape this Oedipus complex. We have to stomp on the head of the serpent. We have to escape the lie of pleasure and satisfaction and consumerism, which promises us wholeness and and a pleasure that is never actually going to come. There is pleasure in the journey. There is pleasure in the work. So it's not about completing all the steps in AA. It's about knowing that if you finish or if you get stuck, that as long as you give it your all, as long as you continue to try, as long as you are striving to be better, You have joy. And through it all, through every setback, triumph, good day, bad day, heartbreak, dirty deed, selfless act, through every moment of your life and every instance, you are loved 
and accepted by your heavenly mother and father, no matter what. So that is what I have for you today, my friends. Um, Again, thank you uh, for listening. Thank you for all the different ins and outs that we have done and all the different things I've said on my different social medias um, about how I'm going to give uh, talks and everything. Um, If this works, I think this is probably going to be the source of how I do things um, in the weeks and months and, you know, who knows, years to come. Thank you for joining me today. Um, I hope uh, to to see you. Well, I guess not see you, but I hope to be with you again uh, soon. Uh, yeah, thanks everyone. Cheers. <laughs>